eat your frogs. And what that means is, you know, sometimes you're going to have a trouble deal or a difficult client that you stressed to call, and then you're procrastinating on this. Mm-hmm. Your day ends up not being productive because you're procrastinating on something that you should do. That problem probably is going to get bigger if that client waits five more hours or if right. you don't do it and you're not getting other things done. Eat your frogs means if you have a brick problem, just deal with it first or go right. for help, but tackle the beast before it gets bigger. Do the bigger. worst part first. I think that's from Brian Tracy says, if you're going to eat frogs, eat the biggest one first. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Joanna Lang. She's the number three mortgage broker in Canada. Her goal is to have the highest income per agent in the country, which is super cool. She shares how she started working at the bank when she got off the boat from Poland 25 years ago and how she really wanted to get into the sales profession and was denied several times and finally was able to get in there. And my gosh, is it ever great that she did considering the business that she's built. So a couple of takeaways from this episode. First, she shares last year she did 800 million in production with 24 staff. That's nine salespeople and 15 support. She talks about how she runs an apprenticeship type model so when someone comes in, they usually look for people that have a couple years experience or have a banking background and they basically have to shadow her and learn the business and the ins and outs of it and how COVID actually really forced her to change her business. So she went from, you know, people basically using osmosis to learn for her having to train them and do it digitally. So this has actually expanded her. So now she's hiring. So it's super cool. Also on the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Tom Hall about three tips for managing your CRM. Tom is our expert from Blue Mortgage and just share some ideas in terms of how to manage those leads better. And finally, huge shout out to our title sponsor, Lendesk and Finmo. So they allow us to continue to create this content for you guys. We're so grateful to them. And they got an awesome program going on right now so where you can win a Tesla. So depending on when you're listening to this, maybe the Tesla's been won. But if you go to lendesk.com slash Finmo and check out Finmo and try them out for your submission and application, you can actually win a Tesla, which is super cool. I asked them if I could win. They told me no chance. So I'm out of the running, but hopefully you can win. And thanks again for checking out this episode. Hey, Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business. I've been in the same industry now for um, 20 plus years. I really am passionate about what I do. I enjoy the relationship aspect of it. And I feel that in our line of work, you learn something new every day, which is really great. I am married to a really nice guy. I've got three kids. Our brokerage operates out of downtown Toronto, as well as Ottawa. And my personal goal for Outline Financial is to have a highest income per agent in Canada. So we're focusing on helping agents grow to be high producers in an environment that supports them where it's sustainable. Right. And so are you okay sharing sort of what kind of volume you guys do as a company? I came from working in the banks and we've been in a broker space for maybe six years Mm -hmm. uh, and we're on track to do 800 million this year. Right. And that is across how many people? 24, including support staff and underwriters. Right. But it's more Um, support staff than salespeople or agents, right? Yes, it is. We have a very, very strong support team to allow 
the agents to focus on the most important part, which is client interactions and solution driving versus, you know, focusing on paperwork. Right. Yeah. The other part of your question was how I got into the mortgage business. That might be an interesting one for people because when I came to Canada 25 years ago from Poland, I got a job at one of the banks in a customer service role. Within a, I don't know, couple of years, I really wanted to get into sales. And I got declined for a sales job. Then I got declined again. And then I got declined for a third time. Wow. And then I end up <laughs> going to the manager and just straight up ask, like, what can I do differently here to get the sales position? And the answer was practically nothing because like it doesn't drive with my personality. Mm. Uh, so the well, lesson isn't that from- funny? Now you're running an $800 million mortgage company. And yeah, how crazy is that? They basically didn't think that you had the right personality, if you will, like I'm doing air quotes. So then how did you end up in sales if somebody is, and first off, good on you for being persistent, not being like, wait a second. A lot of people would be like, I guess it's not for me. But how did you still end up getting there given that, you know, your manager is telling you that, no, you can't kind of thing, right? Well, they did me a favor because they basically let me know that they don't believe in me, but it goes back to, you know, what are you passionate about and what you see yourself doing? So I ended up reaching out to other branches and applying in a branch that, you know, I had a second language and went to apply there and they had a posting out and they said, well, you can't get the job yet. You need to do those two or three things because I was, you know, a junior person at the bank. I got my um, ethic. I got my designations and I came back and I said, Hey, I'm back. Are you going to give me a job now? And they said, yes. You just needed a foothold. So then how long did it take you to go from that to being a mortgage broker? Once I got into sales and I was in the right environment, I did really, really well. But I still didn't believe in myself. I was, you know, new to Canada, didn't have a lot of contacts. And I did really well as a financial advisor, like top performing in a district, but I still didn't believe in myself. And one of the managers from mobile mortgage teams reached out to me and I didn't even like get back to them for a year because I'm like, they must be crazy if they think that I could do 100% commission sales. And a year later, he reached out to me and said, are you going to call me back? And at that point, I switched and I was the rookie of a year. And then I doubled my income again the following year. And as I moved through the bank and I found that, you know, started to have kids and the business kept growing, I needed to be in an environment where I was able to grow my own team. Yeah. Uh, and as a result, we ended up progressing to a different bank and then moving over to a broker space to provide more options to our clients. How long ago did you get in the broker space? Uh, six or seven years ago. So not that long. No, that's not long at all. You know what? Good on you. Now, let me ask you this. You said your first job was at the bank when you came from Poland. Could you ever imagine, you know, doing what you do now, like 800 million, 24 support staff, obviously a team that relies on you. Like, could you imagine where you are right now? Or is what is that like? I'm of the mindset that you do not forget where you came from and you're only as good as your last deal. If you keep that in mind, you're probably going to be okay. Right. That's good. I'm not trying to get you to be like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm pretty awesome. I'm just more like good on you for, you know, persevering. So let me ask you this. So I always like to ask stories about failure because I think there's lessons in it for us. So can you think of something that you failed at and now looking back, there's a lesson in it for you? Yes. Yeah, so I think that the biggest lesson when you're starting earlier, you really are networking and talking to people and you're just happy to get the deal or get in front of people. But as you grow in your business and you experience some people that you work with and maybe their ethics are different or their 
pushing you beyond your comfort zone. Like you, you can't be all things to all people. And sometimes right. you're going to do more business by setting some of those people free and moving on. I think the fear of losing a deal sometimes costs you more when it comes to mental health. And some of those things will take away so much energy that you're actually less productive. You have to pay attention what you're trying to attract. And right. agents often ask me, well, I want to you know, connect with this realtor and I think they're great and help me figure out the way to work with them. And then I say, why do you want to work with them? Oh, because they're a high producer in my neighborhood. And I'm like, so why do you want to work with them? Right. What I really enjoy in my job, and this is probably the lesson that I've learned here, is that you want to attract the people with the same values, same mm -hmm. ethics, and people who, over time, the fun in this job is that you end up working with people who you enjoy working with. And they hopefully are different from you, all you know, different backgrounds, different types of people that you learn from, but people who are respectful and who you enjoy. When you see their name on the phone, you're like, oh, that's You're awesome. happy to pick up the phone. Right, right. Exactly. Makes sense. Okay, yeah, that's good advice. And so let me ask you this. What's the single biggest change you made to your business in the last 12 months? COVID's obviously had a big impact on businesses. And I'm curious what kind of changes you guys made. Well, we ran an apprenticeship model. The joke was that if someone new starts, they strap onto my back for a couple months and then you're learning by osmosis. Right. Well, when COVID hit, that was no longer possible which forced us to move on with times and develop a much more organized, structured training program where we recorded everything through Zoom. And now we've got to the place for most part, you know, you're always learning but and tweaking, yeah. but we've built our own training program, which was something that I would have never otherwise done. Right. It's and, funny how some of the, sometimes these constraints force you into this creative solution. And now you've actually have increased capacity because you're like, wait a second, now that it's not osmosis training, you're able to like grow more and stuff. That's pretty cool. So what was 100. the biggest challenge for you to actually make that switch? You're going to ask me what tool we're using and I'm going to have to tell you after because Jason's organized it, but we figured out a system where we can load up all those videos and organize them. And also, you know, it's like trying to boil the ocean and figuring out what you're going to do first. Mm -hmm. uh, with our business model, everybody has to underwrite and understand credit. So it's a very, very rigorous training process before they even move to sales portion of it. So we had to build a map and then pull resources within the team and then record a lot of different videos and then go from there. Right. That's awesome. And then, so what has been your number one successful lead source? We do deal with a lot of realtors and we have a lot of in-house relationships with real estate offices, but I've also had a very strong relationship with a number of accountants. For those of you who are newer to the business, you know, it's very good to develop a niche and focus on something. And if you get yourself to a place where you are viewed as an expert, the business is always going to come. Accountants have been a really solid source for me as well. Right. So what would you say percentage of your business comes from accountants? Well, 15, 20. Right. But so it still more, adds more up realtors. To, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of your business mix, what is your like A to B? Like how much is A versus B? We do at this point 75 A, 20 B and five private. We are in top market in downtown Toronto dealing with a lot of 
We have our niche, I would say. We deal a lot with clients with complicated tax structures, business owners and professionals, where if you get yourself to a place of understanding financial statements and just the relationship between different companies, you can often do those deals in the A space that sometimes could be viewed as B. Right. Okay. That's one of your niches. Interesting. How are you guys different than the average brokerage? What would you say is different about the way you guys do it versus what a lot of other brokers are set up? We're very aware that we're competing with, you tell me, 30,000 people selling mortgages. I'm putting it in quotation. Yeah. We are a true team. Don't compete with each other. There's enough competition out there. So we work as a unit and that's why it probably allows people to do a much bigger volume and not burn out because we support each other. We work in teams with underwriters and support people. And it's truly a very different setup than traditional brokerages where everybody kind of does their own thing. Right, right. I see. Yeah. And the apprenticeship model is definitely a great way that you guys have structured this, I think, in that people go up through the ranks and learn the business because there's so much to know in the mortgage business. So that's fantastic. You've done quite well. I think six, seven years in the broker space and that size of a company is very impressive. I think it all boils down to giving people honest advice. Like if you have the background knowledge and this is not my saying, I borrowed it, but if you do the right thing, the money always comes. And there's nothing more true than that, because if you give people really honest advice and you know what you're talking about, even if you don't end up doing their deal, you have a relationship hopefully for life because they're going to refer you everybody else and they're going to come back to you later. And that's as simple as that. Right. That's really good advice. All right. So let's ask you some rapid fire questions now. You can answer these shorter answers if you like. So what's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? That I don't really watch TV. Almost at all. I am um, somewhat addicted to podcasts. Uh, oh, really? And I listen to a ton of podcasts. Tim Ferriss is one of my uh, poisons of choice. I've married that now with when I listen to podcasts. I don't know if you've heard of J.B. Fogg and his Tiny Habits book. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. How to hack the reward center of your brain. Yeah, B.J. Fogg. Yeah. I think it is. Yes. B.J. Fogg. And yes, the Tiny Habits is fantastic. Exactly. So I'm trying to marry my podcast with other things that I need to make happen. And it's been working well. That's awesome. So, okay, you don't watch on TV, but is there a movie that everyone should watch at least once? Okay, I didn't believe this is going to come out of my mouth. But this weekend at the cottage, kids pulled out an old movie with Adam Sandler. Wouldn't be my favorite actor, but the movie everybody should see. It's called Click. From uh, Oh, yeah, it was actually pretty good. It was actually kind of like deep for Adam Sandler. I wouldn't say his shows are usually deep, but that one was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So I really yeah. enjoyed it. Okay. So what's one software program or digital tool you use for you can't run your business without? There's a couple of things. LastPass, I think everybody should know about LastPass and saving your passwords. So even if it's you and an assistant and an admin person, LastPass helps you save your passwords so they don't get tripped. And, you know, if people are accessing information for sharing and also remarkable if you live in the weeds and you're doing deals i don't know i'm still old school where i write down make notes i like to write things down remarkable is a tool that can um, it feels like writing on paper but you can save it to to your computer or to your phone yeah most of my team uses it does it it scan like in a keyword search or is it just like pdfs it can keyword search if you 
in terms of you handwriting it, no, but you can convert it to text or depending how you're saving things. Like for example, when I interview clients, I save the checklists mm -hmm. so I can word search under their first name or last name. I see. And then you just take a copy of that and then upload it to their file, like their CRM. What software do you use managing your team? Currently Salesforce. Okay. What's one book you could recommend for our listeners? Tools of Titans oh, from yeah. Tim Ferriss. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, you know, tactics, routines, and habits of world-class performers. And I believe in lifelong learning and there's always something you can do better. And if there's one or two things. What's think, one thing you got from that book that I don't put you on the spot here. Can you think of like one takeaway that you got from it? I was actually very surprised how many people do meditation, something like 80% of the successful people. And, you know, the fact that busy is a state of mind, that was definitely something that stuck with me. And I believed in it before, but it was just confirmation. Just reiterated, you're like, okay, yeah, this is something. Well, if you have a meditation practice and then you are feeling stressed, you can go back. It can be like your reset, right? You can go back to be like, okay, I need to like calm down here. All right. So elevator questions. If you're in an elevator and you got your ideal client and you have 30 seconds to explain what you do, what would you say to someone? I would say that I'm in a relationship business. I help people analyze their financing options beyond just the obvious of the rate, because when we have a more in-depth discussion, we can often build a financing plan that goes beyond just the great rate, but also incorporate taxation or um, other efficiencies. So I would say that we're very specialized in how we approach home financing and that's all. Right. Awesome. And then I don't know if you've seen the movie Back to the Future, but it's the movie where they go in the car and they travel back mm -hmm. in time. So if I could send you back to when you first started as a mortgage broker, what advice would you give yourself? Okay. I have four. I have okay, four. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's okay. Can I do four? Yeah. First of all, get a mentor. Anybody new in a business, many people have done it in many different ways, but get yourself a mentor. Mm -hmm. um, that's good advice. And find people who you can lean on because it's hard to do it by yourself. My second point is give honest advice. Always be a giver, be a connector. And if you're coming from a place of giving, and advising, then people will come back to you and they will send other people. The third thing is, and this is like one of my sayings, eat your frogs. And what that means is, you know, sometimes you're going to have a troubled deal or a difficult client that you stressed to call, and then you're procrastinating on this. Mm -hmm. Your day ends up not being productive because you're procrastinating on something that you should do. That problem probably is going to get bigger if that client waits five more hours or if right. you don't do it and you're not getting other things done. Eat your frogs means if you have a brick problem, just deal with it first or go right. for help, but tackle the beast before it gets bigger. Do the bigger. worst part first. I think that's from Brian Tracy says, if you've got to eat frogs, eat the biggest one first because, you know, okay, that's really good. What's oh, the last one? Don't try to boil the ocean. And I find that people who just start, they say, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, but they are busy doing versus getting things done. Right. And I'm a strong believer. I encourage everybody on my team and a lot of people do it. We do a business plan quarterly, pretty much. We do one at the beginning of a year. We look through three months later and six months later because what gets measured gets done. Mm -hmm. and, and trying to really not dissect it to a point of you measuring things. What did you do today? A little bit wider than that, but just kind of setting yourself up for where are you going and then looking at it three months back and saying, mm, there's a point of reference, which I think is important for learning and progress. Mm -hmm.
That's really good. Awesome. And where can people find you online? I know that you're hiring some support staff. I mean, these shows stay on there forever. And so where can people find you online if they're interested in chatting with you? We're at outline.ca, which is our brand for Outline Financial. And my email address is joanna.lang at outline.ca. J-O-A-N-N-A dot L-A-N-G at outline.ca. And we are currently looking to expand, having just built all that training to support staff, underwriters, and salespeople. We're starting a new big training batch as of September 15th. Okay, awesome. Guys, yeah, check that out. Thank you, Joanna. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. And it's been awesome to get to connect and hear how you, you know, been crushing your business. Thank you very much. Hey, Tom, welcome back to Ask the Experts. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm great. Excited to be here again. So today we're going to talk about three tips for managing your leads. So you get leads, what do you do with them? How do you manage them? So I know that given what you do with Blue Mortgage and how you've been able to kind of look under the hood of a lot of really productive mortgage brokers on how they run their systems, you have some ideas and tips. So what are the tips that you've got for this that you want to share about managing leads better? Yeah, no, be happy to share some of these tips. And honestly, before I get into it, though, I do want to share just a little bit of a story for those folks out there saying, hey, you know, I'll never get there. My lead process is very manual and it'd just be too much to get there. I mean, we started one of our first clients was Ron Butler, who is a, you know, a lot of people know him. And when we first came in, he was actually doing a lot of stuff manually, too. He's printing off emails, making notes, that sort of thing. And just with working with us and how it's evolved, now he's gotten to such a tight process where he's got seven to 10 points of contact for every single lead that comes in, super succinct, and it's just about all completely automated. So if you're sitting there saying, hey, that can never be me, I promise you, you know, it can be you. The notorious Mr. Butler, I, and I, yeah. I, he comes on the show all the time. So him, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they do massive volume. So yeah, so yeah tell what are the three kind of tips that you have for anybody that's trying to do a better job of managing their leads? Yeah, I mean, the first one is really the idea of time is money. And I think this is especially true if you're doing digital leads, but really any kind of lead, you want to make sure that as soon as they reach out to you, as soon as you get any kind of initial interest, they're getting an email from you and they're getting a text with you within five minutes. And we look at the stats all the time and we know if you don't do it within five minutes, you wait just 10 minutes you know, that lead, and again, especially these digital leads, that conversion has gone down by about five times. So you want to be following up just about as quickly as possible. Which is why using technology to do it, because if you're busy and you have to wait, you're in the middle of a call or something, and then you get back to them 30 minutes later, like not so much with like referral clients, but course, you know, yeah. online business, you have to be fast. That's yeah. absolutely okay. So time is money. And what's, think- the, what's the sort of next kind of point you have on that? Yeah. And I guess just to wrap up the time is money. I mean, I think when people think about it, Hey, if I'm just sending an email right away, it's going to look automated and that's completely okay. Like call it out in the email. Hey, this is an automated email. Just let you know, I received your request. I'm going to call you as soon as I can. And that I mean, kind of really, point, actually, cause sometimes yeah, people go, well, yeah. but it's at least acknowledging it. Cause sometimes you'll exactly. send something yeah. like, did they get it? Like where did yeah. it go into the ether? Yeah. And then you get uneasy. Yep. Yep, exactly. If you can do those two quick things, it makes a world of difference. And then really that kind of leads to the next point I have, which is about, you know, really wanting to be persistent with it, right? Just having those initial two points of contact, it's not going to be enough. It's just letting that person know, but you need to be following up. I would say at least five times, having at least five touch points before you give up on a lead. And that seems like a lot, but once again, if you're using the right tech, it really doesn't have to be, but five is the number, the absolute minimum for these types of touch points. Right, five. And then what modalities would you recommend? So when I talk about, I mean like email, text, phone, carrier pigeon, like what are you recommending? Should it be all one modality or mix it up? 
Yeah, well, what I would say, I mean, best practice I've seen is, you know, the first kind of automated one go out, probably an email, probably a text. But the first time where you're actually doing something yourself, it's a little bit manual, which should be the one right after that. And it should be a phone call, right? Because yes, the person can be okay with an automated email up front, but you got to make sure that that next point of conversation is extremely personalized. So they know that they've been heard and that their specific requests are being managed properly. And then after that, I mean, it's really up to you. It kind of depends on the way you like to interact with customers. If you like a high touch point thing, then many calls might be appropriate. But if you prefer just to more so that volume game, emails, texts, each of those are perfectly acceptable, as long as you're at least making that initial phone call to establish that relationship. But there's actually a real person here and it's not exactly. just like going to a machine. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point, actually. And yeah. one of our coaches who does coaching with us yesterday made 250 calls. And it was like, that wasn't even a high day of calls for him. You know, he'll go to 300 some days and he's a very aggressive about calls, but it's persistence, man. He's like the amount of business totally. he gets because he keeps following up. It's crazy. Yeah, okay, yeah so and I mean, yeah. five times, I say five because, you know, that we see those conversions like one, two, three. A lot of times people are too busy to do it, but then, you know, they might forget, they might move on to the next thing. And then you come through with that fifth communication, you know, whatever, how many days later, it's like, wow, this guy really cares. He really does want my business. And it's really powerful. So five is the number for sure. Five, a minimum five, I would say yeah. like, that's like five, exactly. to, you yeah. know, I think that that's not even a, that's not even that aggressive. Okay. So what's sort of the last sort of insight or tip you have for somebody who wants to manage their leads better? Yeah, well, I mean, the last thing I'd say is, okay, so you go through that five, you do that sort of thing, but really no lead is wasted. Because if you think about it, you know way more about that person than you did before you started the process. Obviously, you know their name, you know their email, but you also know about the time that they're looking for a mortgage. So whether you follow up about a year from now or even five years from now, when you think that renewal might be up, you have so much information, way more than you did before. So use it right? Revive these so-called dead leads and be persistent with that and be smart about the information that you have. Right. No lead is wasted. You basically continue to market to them and, or stay in touch with them. I know that like, again, Dustin, this guy, like he literally gets so much business from this where they'll even give them at his company. So they have what they call orphan clients. And so these are, there's a loan officer that worked there. They moved away or they left the business. And so there's nobody attached to them. And he pulled dozens and dozens and dozens of mortgages out of that list because he just phones them. They already feel like, oh, yeah, I did talk to you guys, somebody. There wasn't even the same person. Here's the crazy part. Wasn't <laughs> right. even, it was like, well, imagine if you were the mortgage broker, you know, left the industry. Now you've got all these clients and I'm phoning them and I'm saying, hey, you work with Tom last. You know, I can help you now. And literally dozens and dozens of mortgages because yeah. he's willing to follow up. The client already still has to feel like a trust because they worked with Tom last time and they didn't even realize it. Right. So yeah. I think it's a good point. OK, so let's recap this sure. past the expert segment. Yeah, yeah. So just to run it back, as you're thinking about managing these leads, you know, don't be too overwhelmed by it. And if the three tips to stick by would be be quick in your initial response, you know, time is money for these people. Make sure that you're being persistent, at least five of those touch points, right? Five being that magic number there. And then finally, use the information you have, right? Don't consider a lead dead ever. They always have something and you can always provide that familiarity based on your initial interactions already. Right. I know like, so Dustin, he'll call people until like they literally move into a care facility and he's got mortgages from people. He's like, Hey, Dustin, I'm moving into a care facility. You don't need to keep calling me about the mortgage. Like this is how long he's doing it. And he's like, Hey, no problem. But who's buying your place? Oh, my son. Oh, I can help with that mortgage. And he's literally gotten mortgages from people because they're moving into a care facility. And they're like, thank you for calling me these last 20 years, but I don't need you now. And he's like, Oh yeah, you can help with that. 
And so that's the power of it, man. Like totally. It's crazy. It's awesome. Okay. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate you, man. And if you guys are listening to this, check out you guys at Blue Mortgage. They got a great product there that they can help you guys automate some of this and streamline it for you. So thanks again, brother. Thanks so much, Scott. Really appreciate it. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.